We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse number 10. And if you could stand with me one last time as we go to the word of the Lord together. I want to read it together as we look at the word of the Lord. Today I'm only going to cover three verses, all right, three verses. That means the sermon is only five minutes long. Okay, no, y'all should already know better by now. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse number 10. And just so you know, for the next several weeks, we're going to actually just be in Ephesians 6, okay? So we've been kind of, we talked, started off talking about our enemies, the world, the flesh. And now today we're going to focus in on the devil. And then we're going to talk about the, the, the armor that God gives us. And we're going to walk through each one systematically uh, by itself. So starting at verse number 10, it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Let's pray one last time. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're still able to worship God. Father, even when circumstances kind of uh, turn out different ways than we thought, God, I pray that you would help us to set our laser focus on you. God, help us, God, in these uh, times that we're in, God, being pulled this way and that way by all sorts of information, God. But help us to stay focused on the kingdom, God. To not be divided, Lord God, but we don't have to be divided. Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, you know, each branch of the military has their version of boot camp. Now, civilians with a desire to serve their country, they enlist in the service. They end up going to boot camp, and they take on, through boot camp, a new identity. They find out who they really are, not necessarily as a civilian, but now as a soldier. So no matter if it's Marines, Air Force, uh, Coast Guard, wherever you find yourself, uh, every branch of the military has some form of a boot camp. Now, I have never experienced uh, a boot camp. I know many people who have. Uh, the only experience I have is what I see on TV. And what I see on TV, it looks pretty tough to have to go through this rigorous training and, and being able to be equipped. Now, the reason they go through a boot camp is, one, to be equipped for the tasks that they're going to be given, whether it's their military occupation, but mostly to understand if a battle comes, if a war happens, they need to know how to defend against the enemy, but also understanding who that enemy really is. For example, the Navy SEALs or the Marines, right, they have the very kind of explicit, specific uh, fighting battalion that they have for each one of those branches. But boot camp in itself, it's not to be just some experience. It's literally supposed to be a preparation of soldiers to be equipped for the battles that they're going to face ahead of them. And a soldier who does not know that he will face battle, a soldier who does not know their enemy, who instead may say, you know what, we're just kind of here to look good in uniform, is one that's going to be taken and rolled over. Yet God has called us not to just put on the uniform, but to engage in the battle that he's called us to. In fact, we're called to advance and not retreat. Everywhere in the scripture it talks about the idea of a Christian engaging in this idea of spiritual warfare. It's never a retreat. It's always an advancing. 
It's always a remaining firm and standing firm, not in your strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Now, the Christian doesn't have a boot camp per se. We don't have a, you know, 21 days where you go through this and now you got it all. No, our boot camp actually is all throughout our entire life. We go through the struggles, we go through the training, and God is steadily equipping us to remain strong, to remain steadfast and be immovable. And the Apostle Paul, when he was at the end of his life, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his son in the faith. Timothy says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. In fact, this whole week for our kids camp, that was our main verse, that they have remained faithful. That's what we kept telling the kids that, hey, you're running this race, following after Christ, and Christ has called you to remain faithful. The reality for us as followers of Christ is that we are in a real battle. We have real enemies. We've looked at the world. We've looked at even the flesh. And now we're going to look at the devil. We're going to look at Satan, and we're going to see how Satan or the evil one comes to try to trip us up in following Christ. This is a major point we have to remember when we're talking about these things. We approach this with the reality that we are victorious in Christ. That's the difference. We don't approach it from the standpoint that, oh, there is no victory. We approach it that there is a reality. We're standing already in the victory that's found in Christ. So as Christ is victorious, so are we. As Christ is conquered, so are we called more than conquerors. The angels, the rulers, the powers, they try to separate us from his love, as Ephesians tells us, but they can't because we are rooted in him. And so we should understand and have a healthy respect for the enemy that we're facing, meaning an understanding, an understanding of who this enemy is, a respect, and understanding, okay, yes, we see the reality of there's a real enemy, but the Bible is clear, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Y'all hear what I'm saying here? So what I plan to do by the grace of God as we walk through the text and see what the text is saying to us is hopefully do some uh, de kind of mystifying of some of the things about Satan, but also helping us to understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is. And hopefully we can walk away from this having a deeper and a better understanding of how God has called us to walk out this life in relation to the enemies that we may face. Here's the first point we have right here is that God is the source of our strength. Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now we have to recognize first and foremost that God is the one who strengthens us. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul gives this immense theological and practical truth for the follower of Christ. In fact, if you want to do something this week, just read through all of Ephesians. Read through chapter 1 to chapter 6. There's only six chapters. Very clear. It helps you to walk it out. It gives you very much a deep theological look at what Christ has done. But then it gives you a very practical look of how the theology of what you believe should cause you to live out the life that God has called you to. In fact, in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, it says this. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, talking about Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So notice the first thing we see there, even in Ephesians 1, is that Christ is the one who is in all authority. Christ is the one who is in all power. 
So that means if Christ is ha he has all authority and all power, there's no one then who is on his level. No, no man, definitely, but definitely no other being. Christ is on the plateau alone. So here's the thing. There is no like Jesus and Satan. There is no Jesus and Satan here. There is Jesus and every other thing. Okay. So, you know, here's the thing. We live in such a Western world. We like, oh, you know what? Because, you know, we don't really operate in a lot of supernatural viewing of things. So for us, we just put everything on the same playing field. It's not that way. It is Yahweh and that's it. He is the creator of all things. So Paul wastes no time getting right to the point. For the believer, we need strength in the battle we face. In fact, nowhere in Scripture do we see a Christian being told to be strong in themselves. Do you recognize when you pray, you're not praying in your own strength? Like, you know, he is, boy, they, that, they can really pray, boy, they got the power. No, you don't have power. It is the Spirit of God who has power. You are but a vessel. So here's the thing. You have to recognize and, and be careful that we're not elevating or deifying people when man is only finite. God is infinite. So you have to understand that there is no human that's sitting back and saying, oh, look, look how powerful I am. No, you, that is setting yourself up for a sure fall. In the moment you start thinking about how powerful, how great you are, God will show you how not powerful you are. We don't see in the scripture, <coughs> excuse me, we don't see in the scripture where it tells a Christian to chase down or address demons in their pr prayers either. So you don't see that either. Christians have no need to address demons. You're like, hold on, Pastor. Now, you messing with my, my whole theology right here. Good. Because here's the thing. I'm not talking about opinion. I'm talking about what the text says. You don't see anywhere in the text where Christians are entertaining or talking to demons or Satan in their prayers. You pray to the Lord. Even, we're going to see later, when Michael even comes against Satan, he says, the Lord rebuke you. So you don't have to spend time talking to Satan in your prayers and, you know, Satan, I'm going to tell you this, Satan, I'm going to tell you that. No, you're addressing Jesus, period. He is the one who has the authority. Why are you spending your time, wasting your time on somebody who is a loser anyway? You're talking to the Lord who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You come to Jesus. You come to him. In this battle we face, we need the Lord. This is what it's saying. Now, while this may seem like a small point, it is indeed the biggest and most important point. Why? Because there is indeed one who is Lord over all. One Lord who has all authority and power. One Lord who is truly omnipotent and omniscient. Here's what I'm saying here. Satan is not omnipotent or omniscient. Okay, you say, oh, Pastor, that just sounds like a whole bunch of big words. That means nothing to me. Yes, it does. Here's the reality. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is not all-powerful. He is a created being. There's only one who is all-knowing and all-powerful. That is Yahweh. 
So sometimes we, sadly because of bad teaching, make Satan out to be something that he is actually not, which is almost on the same level with God. There is no comparison. Understand, no other being can say that they are omnipotent, omniscient. No other being can say this. Why? Because the Lord has no creator. The Lord has no creator. He is the creator. He's created all things. He's the uncreated one. There's no one on his level. No one who can rival him. Now, one thing we're going to see through this passage is that being strengthened in the Lord or putting on the armor of the Lord is literally putting on the Lord. It is putting on Christ. So when we talk about putting on Christ or putting on the armor, we're going to see even in the later weeks that we're talking simply about putting on Christ. That is what it means when it talks about putting on the armor of the Lord. It's not about us being stronger. It's not about us mustering up more power. It's about the finite trusting in the infinite and relying solely on him alone. But you say, well, pastor, that takes me out of the equation. Mm-hmm. It puts you in the place where you need to be. Humble before the God who can handle all things. But I, Pastor, I thought we got to get in it. We got, you know, we got to wrestle. We got to fight. We got to spit. We got to do all these things. You better be crying out to the Lord alone. Because he is the one who gives us strength. Notice, this is an imperative, meaning it's a command, but it's also passive, meaning that it's not something we can do on our own. Be strong in the Lord why? But we can't do it on our own. The text tells us to finally be strengthened in the Lord. And how are we going to be strengthened in the Lord? By his vast strength. A command. But also something we cannot operate in on our own. We need his vast strength. Listen, it's the Lord's words. Listen to the Lord's words to his people before they went into battle. Look at what God tells Israel before they go into battle. We can tell you the same thing. Deuteronomy 23 through 4. Listen, Israel. Today you are about to engage in a battle with your enemies. He says, do not be cowardly. Do not be afraid, alarmed, or terrified because of them. Why? Verse 4, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you what? To give you what? To give you what? It's the Lord who goes ahead of you to fight for you, to give you victory. So that means we're not trying to do what Jesus only can do. See, you can't give yourself victory. Only the Lord can. It's the Lord who fights the battle. The battle is the Lord's. We like to sing that, but like we like to live like the battle is ours. The battle is the Lord's. And it is his alone. Notice when the text says, put on the full armor, yet we see this armor is not Ryan's armor. It's not Joe's armor. The text tells us we find strength in the Lord and we're able to stand firm in the, in the battle by putting on his armor. See, that's the armor we need because our armor, we already saw last week. If you missed last week's message, go back and listen to it. Our armor, the flesh, will leave us stranded every single time. No, we put on his armor. This is how we find strength. As one commentator noted, in the day of battle, Roman soldiers were to stand their ground, not retreat. As long as they stood together on a flat open field and did not break ranks, their legions were considered virtually invincible. 
When we stand firm in the Lord together as the body of Christ, as a local church, man, we stand firm. And even when the attacks of the enemy come, and they will, we stand firm, knowing that we're invincible in the Lord. Spiritual warfare does not have us as the focus. But it is the Lord alone. What do I mean by that? See, evil forces are against the Lord and his kingdom. The Lord has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that means, guess what? All the times we're being attacked by the evil one, sometimes we get sort of, oh, woe is me. I can't believe how the devil's doing. I can't believe this happened. You're missing the bigger picture. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. So even when we're in the battle, and even when we're being attacked as the people of God, it really still relates back to it's the Lord that he's coming after. He's trying to attack those who are in the kingdom of light. So what do we put on then? We put on Christ. We put on who he is. What is God doing in the earth both now and in the time of Jesus coming back? He's bringing righteousness, justice, truth, peace all through the gospel. So we put on the Lord who is establishing his kingdom both now and in the time to come. So while we all have our spiritual battles, the bigger picture of why we're attacked is because we belong to Christ. If the enemy can deter his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, from advancing through his people, that's what he's going to do. Do you realize God gets no glory about infighting in a church? Man, God, you know, I'm standing for my principles. You could be being used by the devil. You know, there's people that Satan sends in a church to sow discord among the brethren. They Even in the body, you have folks that Satan sows to sow discord. No, it's not godly when a church fights and battles and splits. God doesn't get glory out of that. No, we need the Lord's strength to stand against the schemes, as the Bible says, of the devil. What then are the schemes of Satan? Well, schemes here in the text is the idea of trickery, the schemes of the devil, the trickery of Satan. So the word of God does not want us to be deceived or pulled away by the deception of the evil one. Now, what about Satan? We're going to look at some of the schemes of Satan. What about this being Satan? Well, in our culture, the idea of a being such as Satan is often scoffed at. Oh, there's no devil. There's no these things that exist. There's no evil. Well, actually, when people begin to say there is no devil, there is no uh, evil, there's nothing, it begins to really help him to work a lot better. Because when you're sitting back saying there's no devil, there's none of these things happening, well, guess what? He can operate under the radar without anyone asking questions. Yet the other side is when we place too much authority on Satan. You see, we always end up falling into ditches with one another. On one side, oh, there's no devil, that's, that, that's just fair, that's that, not. And then on the other side saying, oh, it's, it's, it's the devil is at, you know, around every corner. Well, we got to be careful. We have to be balanced and have discernment to know which is which and when it is, right? Understanding this world is flesh, the devil. Satan is a created being. The very name of this being means accuser. 
Now, we don't have time to walk through the whole development of this being through the Old Testament to the New, but we see Jesus clearly articulating the existing existence of the devil or Satan, the evil one, as an enemy of the Lord. Now, Jesus tells us that the devil seeks to snatch people away from the truth, lead others to follow after him. We see him as the Bible calls him the father of lies, the father of lies, the one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, the Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. That's his M.O. This is how he operates. We see this being in the garden, deceiving the first humans to rebel against the Lord. And we must realize that Satan is a created being. Now, he wasn't created in this evil manner. But we know that there was a time where he has rebelled against the Lord. and where, So now we see this idea of this being was created by God now is in complete rebellion along with him and other forces against the God who is the Lord God Almighty. Though this supernatural being, he is not God. The evil one is not all-knowing, he is not all-powerful because he's not and cannot create. He was created. Now we find the truth of this being as being part of now the fallen creation. Understanding that one day Satan and every evil and all the evil in the world will be thrown into the lake of fire. So we see that they, he has an end or all the evil in the world eventually will have an end. And we will have a world with no evil, no sin. And it will be justice and righteousness now and forevermore. Ultimate power, though, is securely in the hands of our sovereign God. Okay, if you're tracking with me, this is what I'm saying here. Ultimate power is in the hands of our sovereign God. That means Satan then is under his hand. That means that, guess what? God is the one who is in ultimate control of all things. He is the one who is in ultimate control of everything we see. And despite Satan's opposition, the Lord uses him to work out his will even in the world to further the cause of his kingdom. Satan does all he does, as one commentator said, by God's permission. God is the one who is in complete authority and control of all things. Notice this truth, though. We are strengthened in the Lord and by the Lord. We put on the Lord, which is the same as putting on the Lord Jesus, and we put on the Lord to stand against the evil one. We're called to stand. Notice, we're not called to become some heroic figure as one believer is greater than the other in relation to one another. No, this is a command for all of us. We're called to stand firm, and we're called not to retreat, but we're called to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, how do we know the schemes of the devil? Well, they're revealed to us in Scripture. See, you may be saying, man, you know what? Pastor, I need you to tell me, what, what are the schemes of the devil? How do I know these things? Do I kind of know them like, you know, by, by I, I just feel it in my heart? Oh, see, I know that's a scheme. No, you can know the schemes of the devil by going to the Word of God. We see the schemes of the devil in false teaching, in a false view of sexuality. We see the schemes of the devil in uh, uh, lying to people and, and tricking people and deceiving people. The Bible even says he comes as even like an angel of light, deceiving those who are called to follow the Lord, if it was even possible. We're not taken away by false teachings and false prophets of Christ. This, these are all works of Satan. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 2.11. 
so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. The reality is many people, though, are ignorant of the schemes of Satan. Many people who should not be ignorant of the schemes of Satan are ignorant. Why? Because we see many people, especially Christians, giving in to ideologies that are anti-Christ. That's how you know you've been deceived. When what you believe doesn't line up with what the Lord says. The scripture tells us that it is Satan who has blinded the hearts of people in this world. This being doesn't work alone, but as the New Testament tells us, unclean spirits or demons operate within this world system to deceive, and as we see in the time of Christ, even possessed people. 1 Timothy 4.1, listen to this. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons or the doctrines of demons. Now Satan, as a created being, yet supernatural is defeated. He has been defeated and will be thrown to the lake of fire. But on the cross, it is Christ who has overcome all things, even the devil, the world, the flesh, all these things. He's overcome these things. Colossians 3.1 tells us this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Paul was alluding to in his prayer that Satan does roam around like a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. But here's the point that we're making here. When you're walking in the strength of the Lord and you're understanding the schemes of Satan, that means you're not going to be taken back by his devices. That means you're understanding and you can, you can see, you can discern what, what, what's happening here. You can discern, man, this is a scheme of the devil. How? Because you know what the Bible teaches. And now you're able to discern these things. Why? Because we recognize our battle is with spiritual, not fleshly ones. Look at what it says there in the text. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Spiritual warfare is a down and dirty battle. Look what the Bible says there. It says, We wrestle. We wrestle. Paul is describing here this struggle, this idea of wrestling, this hand-to-hand -hand combat. Notice it's not passive, but it's active. So that means that, guess what? We're wrestling in this battle, and we're right there in the thick of it. We're wrestling with the, the flesh and the world system, and now we're up against these spiritual forces that the Bible talks about. What then does this look like? How do we know when these forces are coming against us? Well, not every adversity... Not every sickness, not every struggle are evil forces. Okay, just because your dryer is broke doesn't mean Satan caused it. It doesn't mean, you know, man, my, my alternator broke, see, that's the devil. Well, it could not, possibly not. It could be that you just didn't take care of your car and it broke. It could be that, guess what, instead of you actually changing your oil and your engine locked up, that's your fault. Or it could be we live in a fallen and broken world. Christians, we have to have discernment to understand when it is schemes of the evil one and when it's not. Understanding, too, 
Not everybody who comes against you may not be being used by the devil, you know. Now, they may be in their flesh, all these things. But we do see, though, on the other side, that there is a reality that some adversity, some sicknesses, and struggles are from evil forces. So that means we cannot discount the reality of these things. You hear what I'm saying? That means we find a balance between the two. Demonic forces assist the evil one in coming against the people of God. And what does this look like? One clear picture you know, and I can can really see this very clearly, is persecution. Persecution, and when you're being persecuted for your faith, false teaching, those things that seek to undercut the faith, disturbances from people that are fueled by your standing for Jesus, attacks from those influenced by the flesh, and even maybe like discouragement. A discouragement that leaves you without joy and loss of hope, these are things you can really see pinpoint are works of the evil one. Discouragement is a part of the Christian life. That's a natural part of it. You will be discouraged. You will feel times where you feel down, but yet we're strengthened in the Lord. But a discouragement that leads you to be so hopeless to where you don't even see Jesus anymore, you got to begin to say, this may be an attack of the evil one. Somebody in your family coming against you because you want to live right for the Lord and, and you're, you're living holy unto the Lord and they're coming and, and attacking your faith. That could be a scheme and work of the evil one. Why? If I can get you to quit and give up, that's what the evil one's going to try to do. So we see this reality of attacks that come from these things. But the Bible tells us we stand firm. Not to be overcome by these. As one commentator noted, Satan tries to gain a foothold and exerts his influence over the lives of Christians through uncontrolled anger, falsehood, stealing, unwholesome talk, any conduct that is characterized by the old way of life. So we see this reality of, even as a Christian, understanding there's things that the devil is trying to lure us into and pull us away to, but we can stand firm against these things. The evil one is committed to hindering the progress of the gospel and fulfillment of the divine plan of God. That means if there's somebody within a church and all they're doing is sowing discord and gossip and they're talking about this, and you better tell them, you're being used by Satan. You have pastor, that's going to hurt their feelings. They're going to leave. Maybe they should. Maybe they should because if you're here to sow discord, then that means you're stopping the advancement of the gospel. That's a serious thing. That should cause us to grieve. That should cause us to pray. That should cause us to say, Lord, if there's anyone among us who has been sown here by the evil one, expose them. Now, that doesn't mean we're going on a witch hunt now. But it does mean we're prayerful people asking God to protect our church so that we can stay focused in on the gospel. Understand, in the end, our enemy are really not people, but it's evil supernatural forces who are against the Lord and his people. These forces are what blind mankind and work through them. This should give us immense compassion for people who are blinded by the works of Satan. This should cause us to pray more instead of wagging our fingers and saying, man, I remember when I was blind. I remember when I was trapped in darkness and held by the evil one, and I see others who are blinded as well, so it causes me to pray more. 
It causes me, instead of wagging my fingers and saying, look at what they're doing, but to pray what Paul prayed in Ephesians, that the, the, their understanding would be open and their eyes would be open to the truth. While the argument could be made that these rulers and authorities and cosmic powers are possibly different hierarchies in the kingdom of darkness, I want us to look at the main point he's making here, that there's a struggle we face and people are not always the problem. That is spiritual forces. That is things that are behind people and ideologies. No, it's these evil forces that are behind the wickedness we see. Now, think about it. What would lead a, another human, because this human loves Jesus, lead another human to say, I have to kill them? I mean, I know we don't face it in America. I know we, we have first world problems. It took my parking spot. I can't believe we got to do First world issues. Real world Christian issues are this. I live in this country. I love Jesus. But if I publicly say it, someone will want to cut my head off. People don't like me because of my skin color. What are you talking about? Sure, that's one form of demonic possession and all that. But none of us have really tasted true persecution. And I, I would wager to say, if we do, the building would be empty. Why? Because it's a reality of these rules and authorities that want to come against the kingdom of God. What would cause another person to hate another person, to kill another person because of who they are, all these things? These are things that are fueled by evil, evil forces. What are some ways that these are at work in our world and culture today? Well, in our culture, we see a fascination with even the cult today. We see many desire to know their future. I see Christians do this all the time. I, what's your sign? You mean like the cross or? You know, what are you talking about? I know what they're talking about. And then people share it on Instagram and, and YouTube. Oh, you know, it's Leo season. It's Sagittarius season. Season of what? Of you being deceived by the devil? Why are we saying this? Because many, you know where this comes from? Many people desire to know the future. We all want to know how it ends. This is the fascination. I want to know my future. And I want to know, one, it, it kind of says this. Well, I can blame it on my, my astrology sign if my life is trash. Instead of saying, look at how you live in. Maybe you stop living in the season of lasciviousness. And so living as how God has called you to live, there's a blessing. No. Many people want to get into astrology, this idea of knowing in the stars. And even in, uh, in old, old times, it, people looked in the stars, and Roman culture said, you know what? The stars were God, and this divine heavenly power was there, and each one of them was able to influence people in the world. Now, even this idea of black magic. Magic, not simply a matter of knowledge and foreseeing or foretelling, but it's a claim of some unusual power in the ability to know and do certain things. I read an article the other day how they has, there's a rise of witchcraft among African-American women. And why is that? 
Well, number one, because a lot of times people are taught wrong about what the Bible teaches about history and those kind of things. And so you have this lot. I want to tell you something. There, let me, I'm not going to skip ahead. I'm going to keep going because I want to make this point when I go on. Black magic, this idea of dabbling in, in the dark arts. So that means, you know, burning sage. I'm going to burn some sage and I'm going to get the spirits out my house. Oh, I know I ain't talking to nobody. You know, yeah, that don't happen. And nobody knows that happens. You know, I'm going to burn sage. I'm going to get these things out of my house. Or, you know, when you have a mix even, too, of Catholicism with a spiritism, you get a lot of this, too. Somebody says, you know what, you want to sell your house? What do they tell you? Go bear a statue in your front lawn, and then your house is going to be sold. Again, this is not to malign a person. This is to say if an ideology is, is demonic and is bound someone, we love a person enough to say Christ can set you free. Because you don't have to dabble in any of those things. Because guess what? Christ is the one who has all authority and power. The Bible tells us clear. Ezekiel 21, 21. For the king of Babylon. Sands at the split of the road, at the fork of the two roads to practice divination, burning sage. He said, you know what he did? He says, look, I'm going to go ahead and put a, uh, a, 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 a stick in the water, and it's going to tell me which way I should go. Divining. He shakes the arrow, consults the idols, and observes the liver. This is what he's looking at. Spiritism and consulting the dead. Oh, why are you praying to ancestors in the first place? Why, why are you going? Why are you going to the gravesite and, and, and seeking some type of consultation with Grandma Loretha in there? But you know what? Before we get on those who are in the world doing this, let's talk about those who are in the church doing it. Do you understand there are certain fractions of Christianity and those who say they're following Christ in order to get more power will go to the graves of those who have died in the faith, those who are powerful believers and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and lay on their grave and soak up their anointing. Last time I checked, the spirit of God that lives in us is greater than he that's in the world. Spiritism, consulting the dead, this idea of praying to the ancestors, you find a great deal that talks about this in the Old Testament. This idea of necromancy, people consulting the dead, it's denounced in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 14. What about demon possession? Well, demon possession was very rampant in the time of our Lord Jesus. In his very presence, his kingdom advanced and caused the evil one and these evil forces to rear their heads even more. Yet it was Christ in his power who overcame all these things. Yet here's the truth. A Christian cannot, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Can, can I say it one more time? A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. You are filled with the Spirit of God. Again, we're not talking about, man, Having, being oppressed by the evil one and, and the evil one is pressing against you and you're facing all these adversities. No, a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. You're filled with the spirit. On the other side, a Christian should not be fascinated to the point with demonic things and occult activity to where it begins to control their lives. Nor, a Christian shouldn't be afraid to live 
as if Christ is not victorious over the evil one. Again, 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith to pay attention to the deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So demonic possession is real. Demon possession, it goes beyond hallucinations. It goes beyond sickness, but comes with an extraordinary personality change. It also comes with an unclean lifestyle, foaming at the mouth, violence, and a supernatural knowledge of things and languages you shouldn't have. There's a sharp difference between disease and demon possession. How do we know this? Well, go read through the book of Luke. Luke, a physician, gives us a very clear distinction between somebody being sick and somebody being demon-possessed. We see this reality that while certain sicknesses can be caused by evil forces, as we see in the New Testament, we do see a distinction between them both. Now, the question would be, well, pastor, why don't we see more demon possession now in our culture, especially in America, than we see in the New Testament? Well, when you go to other countries and missionaries can attest to this in other countries, you see a heightened uh, sense of people being possessed by demons. But I would say something. I would wager to say this. And I don't have any empirical evidence other than what the Scripture is teaching in 1 Timothy 4.1. I would wager to say this. In the United States of America, you don't have to have much demon possession because you have much more doctrines of demons being taught. When you have doctrines of demons being taught... You have people taking in doctrine and teaching that goes against Christ. Therefore, you don't have to foam at the mouth. You just live it out with your lifestyle. Doctrines of demons, that's what racism is. Doctrines of demons, that's what any other illicit sexual lifestyle, that's, that's where it comes from. Doctrines of demons are anything that is taught that goes against Christ. So in our country... You want to say, where's demon possession happening? Demons and doctrines of demons are being taught all over. Postmodernism is taking it all in. The question should be asked then, how does one get set free from this? Well, the Bible tells us this. The reality is Christ is the one who sets us free. Christ is the one who sets the captive free. In fact, Jesus says some of these things come out but through prayer. And some through fasting. This is how we have people and see people set free. In fact, strong doctrinal teaching casts down doctrines of demons. Why do you think the devil wants to fight against a church that's teaching biblical? Because the captive is set free by truth. We see this idea that as the kingdom citizen, how do we handle defeated foe? Well, we stand, we take up the full armor of God, we resist, we pray. Notice this reality that we are defensive. We are offensive as well. We press forward. There's no retreat. Understand this. The text says that the days will be evil until Christ returns. So until then, the Lord has called us to plant our feet and our lives alone. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, this is what it says here. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. But look at verse 9. It says this, resist him. Resist. You notice it doesn't say, take some oil, splash it about. Demon of whatever. Demon of this. Demon of that. Resist him. Now, now, am I making that up? You see it for yourself, right? 
The word says, how do we defeat the one who is a devil prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone to devour? We resist him. Firm, look at that, firm in the faith. So how do you fight the devil? You resist him standing firm, but you resist him standing firm in the faith, in the truth of what God has said. Knowing the same, look at this, the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So you're not alone. When you're being attacked and you're under spiritual warfare that's happening in your life, you're not alone. My brothers and sisters, here's the point I'm making to you. The devil is a defeated foe. The spiritual forces are a defeated foe. Guess what you should be able to do at night? Go to sleep. Guess what you should be able to do in your daily walk with the Lord? Rest. Guess what you should be able to do even when you're facing spiritual warfare? Appeal to the one who is greater. You don't entertain a kingdom that is crumbling. We remain in a kingdom that is secure and firm-footed in Christ. Remaining firm means being firm in your faith. We resist Satan by not giving into his schemes. We keep on Christ. We keep on the armies provided. And we don't have to waste time rebuking. We can remain confident and allow the Lord to fight for us. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord Jesus rebuke you. Not me and my power, not me and my strength. It is the Lord. We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. That's one way we actually fight spiritual warfare. We take every thought captive. And guess what? We make it obedient to Christ. So guess what? If you're having and you're being attacked by the evil one, take your thoughts that he's messing with and you're feeling attacked. Bring them under subjection to Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. So how do we apply this? Here's the first thing. Have you looked to the Lord for the strength you need in your weakness? Have you looked to the Lord for the strength you need in your weakness? Depending on the background you come from. There's some of us who come from different faith backgrounds that says something like this. The harder you pray, the more powerful you are. Pray. Pray in tongues, pray in this. It's going to show how much powerful you are. Yet the scripture doesn't teach that. The, teacher te the, te the scripture teaches us prayer in humility. That Christ is so powerful in our weakness. Stop trying to muster up strength on your own and lean on the strength of the Lord. I want you to think about it this way. If you couldn't save yourself, you can't keep yourself, then you sure can't sustain yourself. It is the Lord. What about this one? Are you walking in the victory of Christ on your own power to overcome the evil one? We're, we are called to walk in the victory of Christ. How do we know Christ is victorious? Because he rose on the third day, on the cross, defeating every foe. He is the one who is in all power and all might. He is the victorious one. That's who we appeal to. He, overcomes, he overcame sin and death and hell. What about this one? What lies have you believed about the enemy you need to bring to Jesus? Have you made Satan here and God here? Or is God here and Satan defeated? I'm, I'm really asking this question. 
I really am because some of us really do struggle with this. You have made Satan as if he is God. It's not the case, my brothers and sisters. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He is the one who's victorious. He is the one who's overcome. And he is the one who will judge. This is who we trust. What about this one? What did you learn today that you're going to take with you? What are you going to take with you? What did you learn today and what are you going to do with it? For some of us, you need to throw away some of them trinkets you got in your house. For some of us, you need to throw away that sage you keep burning. For some of us, you feel like in order to be culturally relevant, you need to pray to the ancestors and stuff like that. And you keep noticing it's not working. I want to tell you why it's not working. They can't hear you anyway. And the devil's just deceiving you and making you feel like God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. God does care. But yet you come to him through Christ. Maybe you need to lay down those things you've been believing believe the truth let me pray for us father I thank you that we have victory in Christ I thank you Lord that we don't have to walk around in fear or shame Lord we can walk around in the truth thank you Lord that you have defeated every ruler every authority and all victory is yours and so Lord we can live as a victorious people because your word says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. God, I pray for these, your people, those who are being oppressed and pressed on by the evil one. Lord, I thank you that you have the power to rebuke the evil one. So we appeal to you, our God, that you are the one who go and fight for us. You are the one who can rebuke all things. And so, God, we stand firm and we resist the evil one. And we know that victory is ours in Christ. God, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.